Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right. Another week and the Eagles are 1-0 as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 354. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk where I catch up with Greg Cosell from NFL Films to discuss the Eagles' big week one victory over the Atlanta Falcons and dive into the film for Sunday's week two game against the visiting San Francisco 49ers. We've got a ton to get to, so let's quickly just kind of set the table for the rest of this week. Before we get to Chalk Talk, I want to quickly remind you guys, make sure you go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you've got a question about the Eagles football team, about what we saw on film, now is the time. Jump on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a question in the comment box. We will answer it here on the show. And as always, make sure you go and check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, myself, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, a host of other guests. I mean, we, Ross Tucker is on every single week. Uh, Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl, he is on every single week. We had Ben Solak on from the Ringer last week. You want to make sure you are tied in to this NFL draft, this college football season. So many great players making great plays across the country. We've talked about how this will be a huge NFL draft for the Eagles next spring. You want to make sure you're ready for who those top names are. Go now. Subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found. And as far as other content, if you like what you're hearing here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast and you want more and you're wondering, Fran, where can I get more of your analysis? I want you to go check out the post-snap read, which should drop sometime late on Monday, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, I focus in on a very small part of this game and really just kind of dive deep with some film analysis to back it up. So you can get some of my video recaps uh, on there today. I focused in on the two-minute drill at the end of the first half and some of the plays that led up to that sequence. I thought it was the more one of the more important sequences in this game for the Eagles' win. Uh, and then also, for everybody who loves all of the All-22 content that I post from a video standpoint on social media, you can now find all of that in one long video over on YouTube. It's called the All-22 Review. Make sure you go check that out. By the time you listen to this podcast, it will almost certainly be up on the Philadelphia Eagles YouTube channel. Again, that's called the All-22 Review. That said, uh, let's talk through what Greg and I saw from the All-22. It's time now for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, excited to welcome back to the show NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, uh... Fun game to break down here. The Eagles versus the Falcons. Obviously, a lot went right for the Eagles in this one. Um, got the first taste of what this offense will look like, with what this defense will look like. I guess before we get into both sides of the ball, just takeaways for, from watching this team for the first time on Sunday. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm not one who gets into the nature of the opponent. We know the Falcons will not be in the Super Bowl. But it's an NFL game. It was the, the week one opener. I thought that the Eagles looked very focused, very detailed, very aggressive on both sides of the ball. I thought they they just looked like a really well-coached, well-disciplined, well-drilled team on both sides. Yeah, I would agree. And obviously, look, the penalties, you got to cut those penalties out, right? But I think overall, uh, you really kind of got a sense of what this team wants to be about. And I think one of those things 
is that they're going to do a lot of things on offense. And I think oh, yeah. that multiplicity was uh, fully on display. I mean, we saw them do so many different different things that in the pass game, in the run game, and we expected them to be multiple in the run game. But, uh, you know, just coming out and say, all right, well, we're going to throw uh, a couple RPOs and we're, we're going to throw a couple bubble screens out to Quez Watkins. You see the wide receivers blocking on the perimeter. And that just kind of set the tone. It's like, all right, we're, we're going to get rolling now. And all the different things they did off of that, I think it was just a really good start to uh, that entire game plan. Well, they were very multiple with their use of personnel and formations. But what I thought was really good was the way they started the game. Because what you want to do with the quarterback making his fifth start is you want to get him comfortable right away. And the first two plays will bubble screens to Watkins, lined up number three to trips. They're not reads, so it gets her comfortable and gives him completions. The third play looked more like an RPO to me. I don't know what your thought was. I thought, I thought that was RPO, but not a screen. It was like, a, if I remember right, it was like a slant flat or like a curl flat. I think it was a curl right, flat but, play. But the ball was thrown to Watkins in the yeah, flat. So. Exactly. But the point is, it's another basic concept that keeps Hertz comfortable. And then the fourth play was his own read where he kept the ball and ran for 13 yards. And and they did this. They, they had a, a bunch of these plays came out of 11 one-by-three nub set with the tight end you know, attached on the line of scrimmage. So, uh, you know, I, I thought that it was a really strong way to start to get your quarterback really comfortable. He, I think he only took, what, seven or eight snaps in the entire preseason. So now all of it, you just want to get him comfortable to play the game. And I think, too, you know, if you're one of the fans that coming into the season, you're like, all right, I want, I'm in kind of wait-and-see mode with Jalen Hurts, you know, in terms of, like, the inconsistencies as a passer – you would say, all right, well, what's the game plan to, to best, you know, get the most out of Jalen Hurts? You would say exactly what you just said. You had those bubble screens. You had those one read throws. Let's get you comfortable. You're going to make right. plays with your legs. And then when it comes down to it, hey, we need you to hit that sail route to Dallas Goddard down, uh, you know, in the in the high red zone. You're going to be able to hit those throws. Hey, uh, if you're going to hit the touchdown in the, at the end of the two-minute drill to Dallas Goddard, which was a laser throw on the move, escaping pressure to his right, you're going to make, you know, you can make a couple of those a game, and then we're going to pair those with those layups. Well, now you're you, all of a sudden you're an efficient passing offense. Yeah. And I thought even on the first touchdown, which ended the first possession, just a great concept. That's coaching. Just a great man beater concept. It's third and four. You anticipate man coverage in that situation, particularly from Dean Pease, who's has a long track record in the NFL, which I guarantee the Eagles know about. And it was just a great, simple man beater concept. And, uh, and it, you know, obviously, I don't think anybody would say that, that it was a really difficult throw, but it required precise ball location, and he put it right on Smith's hands. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of that route concept, too, right, is that you've got Devontae Smith lined up inside in the slot, and when you run those slot fades, that creates room outside the numbers for the quarterback to deliver the football. If Devontae is running that route, starting from outside the numbers, all of a sudden, that area shrinks down and you've got a very small window to be able to drop that ball in. And so when you factor that in with the little rub element with Zach Ertz, now all of a sudden that becomes a much more defined throw, much, much more comfortable throw for the quarterback. Without question. And so I, I just thought, you, you know, you started off by talking about the multiplicity of what they did. That was really evident. And I mentioned the use of personnel and formations. I, I loved all that. Um, it also speaks, see, to me, that's also just good coaching because to do that week one, that means your players can understand all that. Now, you mentioned some penalties here and there, and ideally they get cleaned up. Yep. But I thought that the game plan for, for Hertz, as we spoke, was terrific. 
bubble screens, quick game, one defender read throws, two-man route concepts that attack zone coverage, putting defenders in conflict. They had a bunch of those as well. The one to Ertz, which was probably one of his worst throws, believe it or not, even though Ertz got it for 28 yards. Um, uh, you know, these kinds of things really simplify the game, relatively speaking, for your quarterback. Yeah, and then you factor the screen game in as well. You know, I, yeah. I broke down a couple of plays where second half you had obviously the the wide receiver screen to Jalen Rager, but you had a tight end screen to Dallas Goddard. You had uh, the the nice little chip screen to Miles Sanders that went for 23 yards that set up a touchdown. So uh, they the and I thought all three of those plays actually came against Atlanta blitzes. So very well timed play calls, and I think that that shows uh, you know Nick Sirianni and his coaching staff kind of having their 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 feel for Dean Pease and what they were trying to do from a game plan standpoint as well. You know, you started off asking me my general takeaways. Let me yeah. add one thing. Um, I would say the Eagles in two years have gone from being arguably the slowest team in the NFL to one of the faster teams now with yeah. their group of skilled position players. Whether they all are great players, time will tell, but this offense now has speed. Yeah, I think when you look at the offense, and we'll talk about the defense as well, but I think when you look at this offense, you're like, all right, well, what are the strengths? What is the identity? Well, this is a, a strong offensive line. You have yep. speed at every single skill position. You have running back, wide receiver, tight end. You've got speed. You've got ability to threaten defenses. And you've got a quarterback who can create. And, and it's about being efficient you know, with his ability uh, to move the ball in the passing game. But when you factor that in with the multiplicity in the run game, and we talk about the, you know, all the different looks they had in the run game, you saw uh, different zone schemes. We saw some gap schemes downhill. Uh, we saw the wham play for, for Sanders plus 23. We saw yeah. uh, some quarterback run games, obviously, and the, the RPO element uh, in there. So when you factor all of that in on top of the speed and the offensive line strengths and the creativity, man, I, that's, that's a good formula to start with coming into the year. And the key thing with all this, look, I think there's there's some things Hertz clearly still needs to work on, and I'm sure they're working on it. I think at times deeper drops expose his tendency to break down in the pocket and leave some throws on the field. Although I thought he made a really good one to Devonta Smith. Uh, was that early in the fourth quarter? Was it um, the nineteen where, the nineteen yarder on third and nine? Yeah, where Sanders did Great an outstanding up. job crossing the formation to pick up the blitzing safety Hawkins. But I mean that time I thought that. Hertz really subtly climbed the pocket with his eyes downfield. Um, but the bottom line is, is if he's not going to turn the ball over, that's the key thing. You'll live with, the with hey, he doesn't execute a play perfectly that you hope he will. But as long as you're not turning the ball over, then you're in fine shape because then you can run an efficient offense. And we'll get to the defense in a minute. But, but um, I'll tell you what, you know what really stood out on tape to me? You know who's having a good time? Jason Kelsey. No question. I mean, He's having a good time out there. Look, and rightfully so. The block from from Jordan Mailata on the screenplay to Jalen Rager that, that went viral on Sunday night and you know into Monday. Rightfully so. That was a ridiculous block on Richie Grant out in the perimeter. But Jason Kelsey had like four or five blocks with him on the move, him going up to the second level, him displacing uh, a nose tackle with Isaac Samalu, where you just said, man, like this guy is still doing it at such a high level at this point in his career. He is just such a pleasure to watch each and every time he takes the field. Well, you know, um, I, Jason Avon said something to me that I thought was really interesting. I, he said, when you get later in your career and, you know, you're on the verge of in your mind, should I keep playing or not? He said, if you're on a team that you really believe can do some good things, that changes your whole mindset about hmm. playing. And my sense is there's a feeling and, and it's week one. So, you know me, you know that I'm not one who gets excited. Like I'm not sitting here saying, wow, they're going to be 14 and three. But I think this team 
Number one, they're fast. Okay. And and that that speaks a lot in today's NFL. Yeah. And I think there's a certain feeling. You were there every day. I was not. But I think there's a sense that this team can be really, really competitive on a week-to-week basis. Whatever that means from a record standpoint, only time will answer that. But I think there's a sense that this team has a little something going for it. There's a there's a lot of good vibes uh, for sure. Yeah. To, to steal a line from somebody. Uh, to me, like the other big play I want to ask you about, um, and I thought it was the most impactful sequence of plays in this game. It was that two-minute drill at the end of yeah, the first oh, yeah. half uh, where I thought, number one, uh, I thought the coaching staff managed that situation extremely well. They didn't rush things early. They didn't use their timeouts early. Uh, you know, so it wasn't like they scored with 40 seconds left on the clock. They timed They timed it up perfectly. They moved the ball downfield. They didn't panic when adversity hit. They scored the touchdown uh, to Kenny Gainwell on that like kind of late developing shovel pass. Uh, but then the penalty brings it back. It's like, oh man, now what? Do they go in the tank? No, they score a touchdown the very next play. What did you see there from Hertz on that play? Because I really liked the way that he stepped up and out. He didn't necessarily go out the back door when he felt that pressure off the edge. And I thought that, that was nice. Like he had the, you know, Jordan Mailata kind of got edged a little bit on that play. Hertz steps up, steps to his right, and then throws Goddard open. Um, interesting to kind of get your thoughts, to, not, not just on that play, but on that drive as well. Well, on the drive, I thought Hertz was really controlled and efficient, and it was clear the Falcons' defense started to increase their pressure tempo from multiple fronts. They started to disguise some coverage a bit, which they hadn't really done much up to that point. Um, And I thought Hertz really saw it well, stayed composed, because the last thing you want to do in those kinds of situations is make a random play, throw a pick, you know, do something – I don't, stupid's not the right word, but you know what I mean. So I thought he was very controlled, very efficient. That touchdown, you know, I watched that play 10 times. And, you know, I'm going to give Hertz the benefit of the doubt there because when he threw the ball, look, Goddard saw Hertz. The defender did not see Hertz. Um, I think it was Jones. It was the linebacker Jones. He had his back turned to Hertz. So my sense was that Hertz threw the ball knowing Goddard could see him and would react to the throw away from Jones. I mean, there was a little randomness to that, but I think there was also some calculation to it. And because it worked, you, you have to say just an unbelievable play. But I watched it so many times and was thinking, because the end zone angle of it for me was behind uh, Hertz. So I really had a great, great view of it. It was like I was Hertz. And when he threw it, you know, and I knew the result, obviously, because it happened already. But when he threw it, just watching the tape, I'm thinking, wow, did he really think that that was going to happen? You know, it was one of those. And then, but I, I think you have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he understood on the move in an instant what was what he was looking at and where to place the football. To your point, I mean, you don't always, it's the tough part about analyzing sports and guys that are just uh, the 1% of the 1% and professional athletes, uh, you can't always use results to indicate intent. So just, but to your point, um, yeah, I think that that was just a a remarkable play. And again, full complimentary team football leading up to that. And this guy, I guess, is a good way for us to transition into the defensive side, because not only do you have that great offensive drive to get the touchdown at the end of the half, but you get that defensive three and out before that. You get the ball down inside the 10-yard line uh, where Andre Chachere, uh, the the Eagles defensive back who they picked up off waivers last week, he intentionally does not touch the ball coming out uh, to down the ball because he knew he was it would have been an illegal touch penalty. So he's yelling at Zach McPherson, down the ball, down the ball, down the ball. 
McPherson jumps on it, uh, and the Eagles are able to down the ball inside the 10. They get the three and out. Now they've got favorable field position. So all of those things, I mean, it's a great example in week one, game one of the first game uh, in this new coaching staff for them to point to and say, this is team complimentary football. Uh, and I thought that that sequence of plays was it was really good to see. And to your earlier point about a, just being a well-coached, disciplined football team. Let me ask you about one play. Yeah. Hurts had a 14-yard run on the first possession of the third quarter. Came a couple of plays after Sanders' 23-yard run on Wham. Yep. You know the play I'm talking yeah, about? I have it here, yep. All right, let me ask you this. Okay. Do you think that the defensive end means would have been the unblocked defender if he didn't slant inside? One second, Greg. I want to, I want to make sure that I'm looking at this correctly, the same way that you are. Uh, to me, if I remember correctly – I do think so. I, I am so the because I thought that was his own read concept, um, and obviously because he slanted inside Jones, the stack backer to that side became the unblocked defender. And I thought Goddard did a great job by running by him because he knew he wasn't going to tackle Hertz. Um, and then you know I think a Whiteside obviously had the crack block on on the overhang defender uh, Harmon, um, and that he he was in a reduced split, and that's why. But um, <clears throat> but I thought that that means would have been the unblocked defender if he didn't slant hard inside. Yeah. I'm looking at the play right now as we speak. And uh, I tend to agree with you. If he had not slanted, if he had not crossed face so hard, uh, my right. guess is they're not reading the, the, who is that? That's a safety there uh, as the overhang player. Because, they're not reading Harmon. Uh, Cause JJ's no. blocking him. Right. And also you don't know he's going to be there. He could right. be five yards deeper in which JJ would block him anyway, but, but you don't know he's going to be there. Yeah. No, and that's the thing is like uh, when you get into so many of these, the the zone reads and the RPOs and you go down the, you know, the, the, all these different concepts, you know, it's not always that they're reading the end man of the line of scrimmage. Sometimes they are reading a, a play side linebacker or a backside linebacker, and you've got all these different actions going one way or the other, uh, you know, all these different influences. That's what yeah. makes it tough to defend. And unless you're in the meeting room, you and I, we don't know exactly how it's coached with the Eagles. Yeah, exactly. That's um, the thing. Overall offensive line, I mean, we mentioned Kelsey. Uh, any other thoughts there up front before we transition to defense? Just a solid performance. I mean, yeah. you know, I think the, the play calling and the overall approach really helped the O-line. I yeah. love the wham to start the third quarter. They hadn't shown that up to that point. And I actually love the formation to do the wham because Goddard was in, was more in a, in a wing alignment. So you usually don't see it quite that far removed from who you're going to, to wham. But I thought that was a really nice little wrinkle little tweak and and um you know he he blocked the one technique davison and sanders you know bounced it outside for 23 i really you know that, that's just that's a play that a lot of teams run now obviously the eagles under the previous regime ran it a lot too but it was just a really well well designed well executed play and i was gonna say usually they have not run that in the past from the gun usually that's been a big under center run yep. for them um so they ran that, <laughs> that ran there with the shotgun which was a nice little change up um yeah, offensively, I, I think that's the big thing. And I guess I'll close with this. Uh, you know, we talked about how you know some of those throws we saw in the passing game, very quarterback-friendly, right, creating some layoffs. Well, yep. And we've said this in the past in the show, when your offense is quarterback-friendly, well, it usually means that you're offensive line-friendly, you're wide receiver-friendly, you're you're getting yards, you're being efficient. You're, that's, that's the way, uh, ideally, you'd like to play uh, you know, moving forward. So I think that that is a, a good sign, too. Uh, for this Eagles offense. Now you've got to be able to counter uh, once teams you know start to pick those up. But uh, I do think that uh, it's a good start for certain uh, watching this Eagles offense. Uh, let's go over to the defensive side, Greg. Uh, general thoughts. I mean, the defensive line uh, I thought was really, really good. Uh, just domination, Fran, just yeah. domination with the yeah. D line, particularly yeah. on third down. 
I mean, Jalen Mayfield is going to see Javon Hargrave in his sleep for about three weeks. Yeah. I mean, he just couldn't handle him at all. I mean, and, and, when he, like, and when he wakes up and he, he wakes up in a cold sweat with Javon Hargrave, he rolls over, tries to go back to sleep, and he sees Hassan Ridgeway there late. Yeah, and by the way, not that we're spending time talking about Atlanta, but they got Tampa Bay this week, so now he's got Sue and Vita Vea to deal with. Yeah. So, so, but anyway, the point is, is their D line. I love the depth. I love the fact that, and again, the score maybe dictated this. We don't know the answer to that when it's just week one. But I don't believe any Eagles offensive lineman played more than you know 55, 56 percent of the snaps. I, think I mean, that, I think that was the. I think it was, if I remember right, I think it was fifty-seven percent. Yeah, it was. They yeah, had, I mean, it was they in had that eight range. guys. They had eight guys play over thirty-four percent of the snaps. Um, and I thought Milton Williams had some really good snaps, both in the base. We'll, we'll get to the difference between their base and their nickel D line in a sec. But I thought Milton Williams showed up. I thought he he showed he belonged in, you know, in the NFL. Now, granted, was this the best offensive line they'll play? Absolutely not. But you, it's still an NFL game and you still have to go out there and play. Mm. And I thought he showed up on tape, both in the base defense as essentially a four eye and in the sub nickel front as basically a three technique. Um, but yeah, they just were rolling people in and out and Josh sweat, you know, he just shows up with his effort. I mean, he's a really good pass rusher. He's just a good player to begin with, but he makes plays running all over the field and that just shows up and that, that sets an attitude and a tempo for your defense. The first half, especially, I mean, he was just so, so good in that first half. Um, let me ask you this question because I've gotten it a lot since uh, really, I mean, I guess like halftime of, of Sunday's game, what was the difference between the first two drives and everything after that? Because that was when you know, the, the, the Falcons came out, they had a 15 play drive, then they had a 14 play drive. And then after that, the Eagles really kind of dominated up front. It's me. Like I didn't see big changes schematically. Uh, I think that there were a handful of plays that, so, you know, some, you know, there was one where uh, the backside player kind of fell down. You know, there was another one, uh, you know, where one of the play side defensive tackles got reached. Like, and this wasn't necessarily like, Oh man, they, they really kind of throw throughout the playbook and change yeah. things up in the third drive. I think that there was just some better execution in some key moments. Yeah, I always struggle to answer that question yeah, exactly. in any game, especially yeah. if I don't see a big schematic change, which right. I didn't. Yeah. And it sounds like you didn't either. No. You know, there could be minor tweaks, which you and I, again, we don't know about unless you're on the field with the coaches and, you know, you hear what they say. But I don't, to me, it wasn't a case where all of a sudden it was, wow, they, they made this major adjustment. You know, I think there were a lot of quick game throws. The Eagles play a lot of zone. So there were some voids, um, which are to be expected in zone. But then I think the defensive line essentially took the game over. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately, that's a big part of what happened. And when you look at Atlanta, uh, you know, and their plan of attack coming into this one, and a part of that I think was, knowing what the mismatch was in the trenches, right? They weren't going to just sit back and drop back Matt Ryan time after time again. That, that wasn't necessarily what they viewed as a winning formula. But I think that at the end of the day, if you were able to stop the run and take the play action boot element out of it and take, take some of those bang play action plays out of it, well, on third and eight, you're, you're kind of stuck in terms of what you were trying to do. And I think that that uh, ultimately kind of forced their hand and really kind of played into the Eagles uh, ability to dominate the rest of that game. Like I said, they had the, the 29, 29 plays over those first two drives. And then they had, I believe four, three and outs in the next five possessions, the Eagles. So uh, you know, the defense really kind of shut the door after that point. But we have to talk about the, the tactics because they basically had two different approaches Take us up front, it. you know, yeah. when they were playing 12 personnel and when they were playing, 11 personnel, you know, and, and they, they had their, uh, their nickel on the field because basically in their base defense versus 12 personnel, 
they lined up with a five-man front. They had the Sam linebacker on the ball, and that was either Avery or or Patrick Johnson, who I was glad to see get some snaps. Not a lot, but I was glad to see him get some snaps because I really liked his tape coming out of college. The only time really that he, they were not on the ball was on one particular formation, and that was close to the boundary, twins to the field, and they bumped the linebacker out just to kind of the midpoint between the offensive tackle and the slot receiver to twins. But other than that, they pretty much played with a five-man front, two stack backers, and in, in base, the stack backers were Edwards and Wilson, uh, Wilson and yep. Bradley. And yep. I mean, Bradley got some snaps and yep. I thought he showed up, by the way. Um, Singleton pretty much played in the primarily in, in the nickel. He did not play in the base for the most part. And then when we went to their nickel, they lined up more conventionally with a with a four man front. And Singleton and Wilson were the linebackers. And we know Maddox was the slot. Um, and they they did not match up. They played sides. Um, and Epps, it was interesting. Epps was the starting safety, and then he, you know, had to leave due to I believe concussion protocol. But um, but yeah, they played sides. I mean, they did not match up. Uh, he Slade played left corner. Nelson played right corner. And they played a ton of zone, a ton of zone, a lot of split safety, some cover three, but more split safety. Yeah, and ultimately, Greg Olson pointed this out in the broadcast, and I think it's an important way to kind of look at not just the Eagles philosophy, but I think you know, philosophy you're seeing around the NFL now with, uh, you know, I, I think this goes back to, you know, Vic Fangio, uh, who I know you've been a big fan of for a long time. Oh um, yeah. You know, where you're playing more of those two high shell looks and you're playing more of those split safety looks. And it's a little bit less uh, focus on defending the run in terms of rolling that safety down to make sure that you have an extra man down on the line of scrimmage. Look, when you look at offensive football, it is tough to consistently go. And the Falcons proved this yesterday. It is tough to consistently go 14 plays, 15 plays, 18 plays, and put the ball in the paint every single time. It's tough to be able to do that. So if well, you say, hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna not necessarily allow you to just run all over us, but if you're gonna get a four-yard run here, a four-yard run there, a three-yard run, a six-yard run, we're okay with that. But at the end of the day, you to be to be able to force you to do that time and time again, that's that's tough to do as an offense. Well, we Fanjo is an older man, obviously, but he's super smart. People will say he's a savant. But younger coaches, the Brandon Staley's, the Jonathan Gannon's, and it's it's no it's no coincidence that they're very close friends. But I think that there's a belief now, and you could say that this should have happened years ago. But there's a belief now. I know that Brandon Staley has it. I'd be curious. I've never talked to Jonathan Gannon. I've spoken to Brandon Staley. Uh, I'd love to meet Gannon, by the way, because I think he seems like he's super sharp. But but um, that you know what? In today's NFL. The old school that stopped the run is not the way to play defense anymore. Not that you want to give up 20 yards. Exactly. Right. Yep. And, right. But that the game is about explosive plays and the number one priority on defense should be to stop explosive pass plays because percentage wise, there are far more explosives in the pass game than there are in the run game. So yep. your defense should be built on stopping explosive pass plays and and I'm not, like I said, you're not saying to your defense, oh, forget about the run. That's not exactly, the point. Right. But, but just the way you structure your defense, because, you know, obviously no defense unless you've, you know, you've got eight great players, you know, unbelievable players. I mean, almost like Seattle did years ago with the Legion of Boom. Unless you have that, you know, you can't stop every single thing in equal amounts. Yeah. So the concept becomes what do we stop first? And the thought process, I think, for a lot of young coaches now 
is you stop the pass first. Yeah, and I think that's going to be something uh, just to watch here with this Eagles defense moving forward. Uh, we talked about the linebacker rotation. We talked about the secondary. Uh, Greg, I don't know if there's anything else that we need to necessarily get into on the Eagles side. We'll see if anything pops up as we talk about this upcoming matchup against the San Francisco 49ers. And I guess which we'll I, do this. Which go Actually, ahead, it segues beautifully if we start with the defense versus their offense. Yeah, let's do that. Because the reason it segues is because the Niners are a little old school in the fact that they line up um, – well, the Falcons did too. The Niners are just better at it. But the, the 49ers line up in base personnel, a lot of 21 with two backs, and the fullback is the second back. Um, and by the way, the Eagles did have one snap of Pony, by the way, which yep. I'm sure you saw. Um, uh, but the 49ers line up, you know, with two backs, with the fullback used, check who lines up all over. Um, they line up with 12 personnel, two tight ends, and they've got um, as good a tight end as there is in the league in George Kittle. Uh, and they're, they're a team that starts their offense with the run game. So now the question is, are you building your defense to stop that? Or how do you build your defense this week? That'll be a very interesting thing to look at as this game is played. I mean, obviously you and I won't know the answer to that until we see the game. Right. And to me, like uh, we were talking about this in the post game show Sunday night, myself, uh, Gabriella and Ike, we were talking about uh, when you look at this offense and what the, all the challenges that they can present a defense. It's very similar to going back to last year. And obviously, you know, look, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, uh, you know, those offenses uh, come from the same cloth. Right. Yeah, McVay and, and Shanahan. Well, they were on close. the same staff in, in Washington. In Washington, Exactly. Um, week two home opener last year. That offense carved the Eagles up. It was a huge day for the Rams, and they were able to, yeah. you know, they were very, uh, there was a, lot, a lack of discipline in the back seven especially, Greg. And, and so when I look at this game, you have to do everything you can to prevent that from happening. All those things we just talked about three, four minutes ago about preventing explosives, that is what you, that is the, what you will need in this game against San Francisco because they will find ways to be able to create that even out of base personnel. That's, that's their goal. Right. Well, you know, and as you well know, the 49ers use motion as much or more than any team in the NFL. Yep. And you have to decide how you want to deal with that motion. Do you want to stay static? Do you want to react to it? You know, again, that's a philosophy now for Jonathan Gannon. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I can't speak to that. Uh, but you have to decide how you want to play that. Um, so so that's one thing you have to deal with. And I think the Niners are as good as any team in, in the NFL playing with both the eye discipline and conflict responsibilities of second level defenders. Yeah. And they do it in multiple ways, motions, misdirection concepts, run action. I mean, they had a pass this week. Uh, I think it was to Samuel where it was out of the eye formation. Okay. Yeah. This was Debo. Yeah. Was it Debo? Yeah. And it was Samuel. They yep. showed I sold lead week and Obviously, Jamie Collins, his responsibility in ISO lead week is he's got to step up and take on the ISO block by, by Ustek. But it was play action. And Ustek just laid out Collins and put him on the ground. And the passing lane to Samuel on the inbreaker was wide open. So, like, and that's the thing where, you know, there's been a lot of talk with San Francisco about their quarterback uh, situation. That's why I just feel like whenever Lance is ready, regardless almost of how Jimmy G is playing, like he just adds that different dimension that if you just add this extra wrinkle into this offense, it's just another layer for defenses to have to worry about when you have that threat of Trey Lance with his legs. That's an element that Jimmy Garoppolo right. does not offer. But, but here, and that's very true. But, but I think the difference is, is when Jimmy G is playing 
with efficiency as he did this past week. You know, granted, the Lions are a work in progress, obviously, defensively, and the Eagles are just better on defense than the Lions. But I think we saw the efficiency with which Jimmy G executes that uh, that style of offense. I mean, don't forget, he executed that style of offense to a Super Bowl in 2019. So no one is would argue that that he's more talented as an athlete than Trey Lance. The question is, is Lance executing with efficiency all the nuances of the pass game that Jimmy G has, you know, he's been in that system for four years now. Yeah. Uh, Shukopadia did a, a great job in his playbook of kind of displaying when Jimmy Garoppolo has been healthy uh, for this offense, they've been really, really good. And when it has been anyone other than Garoppolo, uh, they have really struggled. Uh, and I think that that's um, kind of interesting just to look at in terms of the, the, the issues that it's kind of been kind of a roller coaster for that offense really since, since Shanahan has been there uh, when he's had Jimmy in the lineup. They've been really, really effective. So we'll continue to watch uh, how this kind of kind of, kind of uh, continues to unfold here. You know, I, I've talked to, um, um, you know, players who say that the Shanahan offense with the run action is so tough because the run action and the and then the play, the run and then the run action looks exactly the same. Yeah. Well, so if you're a linebacker, a stack backer, and if it's base, it'll be Edwards and um, who played in the base, Edwards and Wilson predominantly. Edwards and Wilson. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, I thought Edwards played well. I, 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 yep, I kind of like him as a box linebacker. Um, but Edwards and Wilson are really going to have to ha- play with tremendous discipline and because otherwise you get stuck and, and they go after you. And those are the guys they really go after. To your point, too, you know, a lot of people say, look, run game sets up play action. And a lot of people will respond, well, no, play action sets up the run game. I actually do believe that that is the case when you look at, at these schemes. And even when you look at, uh, obviously, we talked about last week with the way that Arthur Smith runs that offense in Tennessee. A lot of those big runs that you see in this offense, and I would throw, if you look at Elijah Mitchell's run, um, the, the rookie running back for San Francisco, he had that long touchdown run uh, in yeah. this game against Detroit. It was the same look that you had on that George Kittle 23 yard completion off boot action. It was a two drives earlier right, uh, right. where, you know, and you just see that that backside defender, he's kind of stuck. It's like, is this boot or do I need to chase this from the backside? And all that, that little hesitation now creates that cutback lane. That's um, it's lethal when you're going up against this offense. So, so what they do really well is that from same looks, they run different plays. And then from different looks, they run the same plays. <laughs> yes. So that's kind of what they do, yeah. you know, particularly, plays that you run frequently you want to show the the defense different looks of how you get to those plays so they don't get a key and an indicator oh here comes that play so you know the Niners are really good at that I mean you know same look different plays different look same plays and they're they're really difficult to defend by the way it'll be really interesting in this game as well and don't forget Shanahan has a really you know good sense of this style of defense because he played against Brandon Staley last year um, is you play a lot of zone, which I assume they'll continue to play. I don't think all of a sudden they're going to be a high percentage of man defense this week. I'd be surprised at that. And I think you would be too. They're really good at putting zone defenders in conflict because zone defenders, they have to react to route concepts and Shanahan's really good at putting them in conflict. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on the rookie running back, Elijah Mitchell, you know, Raheem Mostert uh, gets injured. Uh, It looks like, unfortunately that he will be out for moving forward. He's going to go on injured reserve. Uh, 
Trey Sermon was a healthy scratch in this game. He was behind Elijah Mitchell coming in. So uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on Mitchell, what you saw from him coming out of college uh, and what he can bring to this offense. It looks like he's going to be a big part uh, of this run game now moving forward. Well, it's funny because I liked, I liked Mitchell coming out of college. Um, You know, he was, I actually watched his tape for two years because um, uh, so he, so he's a, he's a rookie obviously. Yeah. So um but I, I thought, you know, watching him in college that he was going to be have a chance to be a good pro. You know, I knew he wasn't going to be a, you know, he's one of those guys, you know, he's not going to be a top 40 pick. Yeah. But I, I thought he was one of the more intriguing backs. <clears throat> I thought he was smooth. I thought he was controlled. I thought he was efficient, which you saw this week. I thought he has a slashing, darning style of running. Um, I thought I thought he had a really good feel for getting through traffic, even though he's not 220 pounds. Um you know, I thought that he would fit really well in his own run game. I thought he'd be a foundational zone runner. And obviously I didn't know who would draft him when I, you know, when I did my study of him, but I really liked him. Um, You know, I guess to me, his tape wasn't as explosive as we saw on that touchdown run when he showed clear explosiveness. I don't think his tape showed that, but I guess he's got some of that. Yeah. Uh, and I think it'll be big for them, obviously, with with Mostert out. He had been kind of their big play slasher. And even Trey Sermon, that's not that's not necessarily his game either, right? So uh, yeah, if Mitchell can bring that to that offense, that will be big for them. Real quick, would want to hit you on these the, the, the other two skilled players. You talked about Kittle. Uh, talk about Debo, Samuel, and, and then Brandon Ayuk, the second-year receiver. Uh, you know, Trent Sherfield has earned, earned some yeah. here as well, who they signed in free agency away from Arizona. Uh, he's a big-bodied kid. But uh, when you look at Samuel and you look at Ayuk, I mean, two guys that are built to play with the ball in their hands. And this is an offense that works to get them the ball in their hands quickly. And also they're, they're built to work the middle of the field. Sure. Particularly Debo. He's got a big body. No question. Um, so, I mean, you know, they, they do a ton of in-breaking routes because they, they impact second level defenders. So they create passing lanes for the quarterback to hit receivers on in-breaking routes. And I think Ayuk, I think was fighting an injury and assuming he'll keep getting better, but obviously Debo was the big guy this week. And other than this, this long touchdown, which obviously came on a, on a Garoppolo seeing the one-on-one versus blitz, it seemed like every other play was an inbreaker. Yeah. So, you know, they run those, those inbreakers at all different levels. You know, they run shallow crosses. They run intermediate. They run deep digs. Yep. I mean, they really work the middle of the field exceptionally well. And both Ayuk and, and Samuel are really good at that. And Sherfield's a big body. Yeah. And apparently he worked with Larry Fitzgerald this offseason, and uh, they say he's improved dramatically. Yeah, they, uh, apparently he's had a good summer and has earned the playing time uh, that he's gotten. Uh, let's go over to the defensive side here, Greg. New defensive coordinator, Eagles fans uh, will be familiar with, D'Amico Ryans, uh, the new defensive coordinator after Robert Sala became the head coach of the New York Jets. Daryl Tapp, also on that defensive coaching staff, assistant defensive line coach, uh, Daryl Tapp. But uh, looking at this defense here in week one, I thought I was really interested to see what they were going to be schematically because you, I think we all know, all right, Robert Sala, he came from Pete Carroll. He was the cover three tree. But then last year they ran more quarters, I believe than anybody. If I want to go back and make sure I look at my notes, I believe that was from shield Capati as well from his playbook. Uh, yes. Uh, they, they ran, there we go. They said no team had played a higher rate of quarters coverage last year than the 49ers. Uh, yeah. But what was interesting, Greg, going back to this week against Detroit, I mean, they played a large majority of cover three. I mean, they were uh, basically all cover three. Hey, obviously, some some split safety in there, some man coverage in there, but a lot of cover three against the Lions in week one. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, last year they under Sala, they really had changed quite a bit. But when you have a new coordinator, you just don't know how that's going to play yeah. out. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they played, pre- you know, predominantly cover three. They did play some cover four. I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, there's some mixed in, of course. Yep. Um, you know, it's hard to get a feel for what they're going to look like this week because they got up big and they played a quarterback that can't move in Jared Goff. He's a pocket player. Obviously, that's not the quarterback they're playing against this week um, in Jalen Hurts. So they rushed for a lot, Fran, and they played coverage behind it. That was basically their template. Would that have been the template the whole game if it was a 2020 game in the third quarter? We don't know the answer to that. So all we can speak to is what they did a year ago, a week ago, because they have a new coordinator. Now, my guess is that Kyle Shanahan probably doesn't want the defense to change dramatically. But on the other hand, D'Amico Ryans probably has some thoughts on how he wants to run things. They've lost Jason Verrett. Now, they might feel they can't play a lot of man coverage now. They might feel they have to play a lot of zone and and have their pressures when they do pressure be more zone pressures than man pressures, which would make sense to me because I just don't know who they're going to line up on the outside and feel really good about right now. I think that's a, a valid point, and that, that's a, a huge injury. And you feel for Jason Verrett, right? Because, oh, my God. Uh, I mean, this yeah. I mean, he's he's missed so much time over his career. Whenever he's been healthy, uh, he's been outstanding. He was a I mean, he was a big time player for them a year ago, uh, and now in week one, uh, he is going on the shelf. So, um, but they were already uh, a little bit shallow at the cornerback spot. They brought yeah. in Josh Norman last week. Uh, we'll see uh, what they decide to do. They started the rookie from Oregon, Diamondor Lenore, uh, on the opposite he side. He played every snap. Yeah, he played he played every snap for them. So. We'll see if they goes if it becomes Emmanuel Mosley on the outside. If it's uh, Deontay Johnson, who they brought up from, uh, or Dante Johnson rather, they brought up from the practice squad. And he's been on this team for a couple of years. So, uh, or if it ends up being Josh Norman, uh, that'll be something to watch here going into week two. Yeah, and again, like I said, I, I just don't know, being honest, exactly what to say about what their defense will look like, given what they did last week, and given that they're playing a totally different offense with a totally different quarterback this week. Yeah, and obviously, look, they've got. Uh, some great players in that front seven. So while they were not necessarily uh, multiple with what they were doing schematically, they weren't showing a lot of different pressure looks. You know, when they go into third and long, uh, look, they basically brought a couple DNs off the bench. They kicked Arik yep. Armstead inside, and they said, all right, we're going to go Nick Bosa. We're going to go Arik Armstead. We got D Ford. We got Samson Ebukam, who we signed over from the L.A. Rams. Uh, they've got a couple other guys that they'll rotate in, and we're just, we're just going to come after you. We'll run a couple stunts. We'll run a TT. We'll run an ET here, uh, and we're, we're just going to say our guys are better than your guys up front. And Greenlaw has a groin injury and he might not go because groins you normally are not a one week deal. And he's become a very good player for them. Yeah, he's been their, their second linebacker. Fred Warner, obviously there. And he's, uh, you know, uh, there's not a lot to say. Fred Warner, you could probably argue is the best linebacker in the NFL. And I don't know that too many people will fight you on it. Well, he's certainly in the top group. I mean, you yeah. can put Darius Leonard there, you know. Now he's uh, an outstanding talent for sure. Well, uh, Greg, I'm excited to break this all down next week. Uh, a couple of teams that uh, looking to go two and zero. We'll be breaking it down right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks for talking to us. Excited to watch uh, NFL matchup this week. Make sure you guys all check that out. Uh, check your local local listings to see Greg, uh, Sal, Pal, Matt, Bow, and everybody uh, over on the NFL matchup show. Greg, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Fran. Well, great stuff there from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show, but the best way is to go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. Appreciate everybody that has done that recently. And again, if you've got a question about this Eagles team, what we saw from week one, 
Go on to the comment section, leave us a question there, and we will answer it here on an upcoming show. With that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week.